0: I'm Pastor Robert. Welcome to Riverside Friends Church. There's a concept that can be, like, difficult to understand uh, in terms of, like, biblical knowledge and whatever. That's that's how I want to say that. That's not right. I mean, it's a good thing my job is to communicate. Um, in terms of, like, biblical understanding, biblical definitions, you know, sometimes they differ from our, you know, maybe English definitions in ways. And one of those words that, like, our different is the word glory, this idea of glory. And we use the word glory all the time, but we lack kind of a robust definition. Our culture has its own definition of glory. Um, and that's seeped into like our biblical definition. And oftentimes we think of glory, we think of like Tom Brady hoisting a Super Bowl trophy as like confetti falls from the sky or whatever. But what if glory is different from a celebration or an accomplishment? And so today I want to like look at the verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and give you like a biblical understanding of God's glory. So we're going to be reading 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 to like the end of the chapter. And I'm going to start with just the first two verses there, 23 and 24. And it says, I have the right, or, you know, the Greek here can mean like legal authority. So like I have um, like my Other translations say all things are lawful for me. I have the right to do anything. It's legally, I have the legal right or authority to do anything. So Paul says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So our text today, it points to this idea that we should do all things for the glory of God. That's going to come up in verse 30 or so. That we should do all, the, whether you eat or drink or whatever, do all things for the glory of God. But we need to hear how Paul is going to get to that point of do all things for the glory of God. And so what we have to do is to think about that. How do we get to this idea that we do it all for the glory of God? And so we need... Um, so Paul begins with a familiar phrase here. Sorry, I have the right to do anything, he says. The Greek says, all things are lawful for me. So we need to like understand that, that all things are lawful for me. Because this is a, a common notion. It's a repetition now. Paul has said this before. He said it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, and he repeats it again here. Seems to be a common phrase that the Corinthian church was using. And they were using their freedom to do what they wanted. And Paul is offering correction to them. So what do they need to be corrected on? selfishness Paul says all things might be lawful but they're not beneficial or constructive instead Paul says no one should seek their own good but the good of others did you catch that all our cultural definition of glory is highlight me so that I might shine but somehow in God's definition we don't seek our own good but the good of others how do you measure let me put it this way right How do you measure how good a pastor is? I think there's a number of ways we could look at their sermons, how many people like listen to them. We could look at their tithes, how many, how much are people giving to them? We could look at how handsome they are. I mean, how good looking are they? We could try to measure their faithfulness. They stayed at the same church for 30 years and prayed diligently, but I don't want to be measured by really any of those. Instead, here's how I want to be measured. I want to be measured by the fruit of the people that I disciple, the people that I invest. What are they doing for the Lord? So if I try to measure my success or lack of based on the number of people who hear my sermons or how big the church budget gets or how long I stay here or any of those, those are all about me. I would be seeking my own good. But when I measure myself around what the people I've invested in do, then I've known that I've sought goodness for them. And so if somebody examined your life, what would they say? Would they say, you know, she never sought her own good, but only the good of others. So check this out. Because this doesn't mean like let people take advantage of you. Paul is not talking to individuals alone, but the church. When we all, when we all like as a church choose to seek the other's good, like I choose to seek your good, you choose to seek mine, and together we all lift each other higher than we could go on our own, and together we lift up the unbelievers around us so that they want to believe in Christ. And Paul is about to give two examples to the Corinthian church in ways that they can seek the good of others. And these might not make much sense as I read them, but we're going to look and we're going to unpack them. So here's the two examples. This is verse 25 to 30, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Says, eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That's the first example. And he goes on. He says, if an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it. Both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. Or why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I am thank God for? So Paul has two examples here. The first is the meat market. In the market, it would be nearly impossible to know what has been offered to an idol. Because here's what would happen. In like these uh, pagan temples, so not like the temple in Jerusalem, but any temple that's not for God, the meat would be offered to an idol Some of it would be cooked for that idol and left there. Some of it would be given to the priests and some of it would just be taken and sold at the market. So how do you know if the meat that you're looking at has been offered to an idol? You don't. Is Paul saying then to investigate and question every piece of meat? No, he says eat anything sold in the market freely and without concern. Does it matter if it's been offered to an idol? In this case, Paul says no. Why not? Well, Paul then quotes from Psalms 24.1, says the earth is the Lord's and all that's in it, the world and those who live in it. Everything belongs to God. So eat freely. It's already his anyways. That is an incredible statement from Paul, the Jew coming from their incredibly restrictive diets. And so he's saying, eat of it. Don't ask too many questions, just eat. And then Paul offers his second example. What if an unbeliever invites you to eat with them? They're an unbeliever. So should we even eat with them? Might be a question the Corinthians have. Paul says, well, if you're inclined, go for it. Because to eat together is the ancient way of forming a friendship. And it still works today. You want to become your with somebody? Eat with them. What if I become friends like with an unbeliever? Paul says, if you want to go, go. Go and eat their food willingly and happily. And don't ask too many questions about if it was an offer to an idol or not. So when we, were on, when we were in the mission field, we lived on this ethos. Our prayer was constantly, Lord, where you lead me, I'll follow. What you feed me, I'll swallow. But then Paul, he adds a little spin on the example. 1 Corinthians 10, 28 says, But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it out of consideration for the one who has informed you for the sake of conscience. And I think the question we need to raise and we need to ask is, Who? Who is the someone who is telling this to you? If you imagine like you're in an unbeliever's home and you're eating with them. And and somebody says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice. Who could have possibly told you it's that unbeliever? I think the person telling you is the unbeliever that you're eating with. And it can be easy to miss that point. That's what I'm imagining, Paul. So imagine that you sit down with an unbeliever, they offer you some food, then they let you know that this has been offered to an idol. What's behind that? What's the heart behind that? I can imagine that this unbeliever is trying not to offend you. They're trying to build a relationship with you as a believer. Then should you eat it? Because now they're saying, hey, I think I know that you don't eat food offered to an idol, and I want to let you know this in particular was offered to an idol. And so they might be saying, eat of all of this, but be careful for this one dish because this has meat that's been offered to an idol. So then should you eat it? No, Paul says they've been kind and they've let you know that this came from an idol. And I think, and I think I know that you can't eat this part. So Paul says, don't eat it for the sake of the one who told you, for the sake of conscience. Whose conscience? Well, it's not your own because Paul goes on. 1 Corinthians 10:29. I mean the other's conscience, maybe the unbeliever's conscience, not your own, for that reason, for their, for what they think, don't eat this, not because of you, for why should my liberty be subject to the judgment of someone else's conscience? Uh, when I was on the mission field, we would bring, we would have teams come visit us and we would tell them before they came, if you come, if you come and visit us, there is no vegetarian option in the village. Being a vegetarian is a rich person's choice. And when we go to the villages, the Cambodians would sacrifice, not to an idol, right, but economically they would sacrifice so that they could share their best with us. So they might take their chicken, their egg-laying chicken and they might go, okay, I'm going to sacrifice this economically. I'm going to give up the eggs here so that I can provide my best for this group that wants to come visit me. And to not eat their chicken in that moment would be rude. Their chickens also don't have much meat on them. They are mostly bone and grizzle, but they are happy to give them up for you. Whose conscience do you eat that tough chicken for? Not yours. For theirs to show appreciation for their sacrifice. Being a vegetarian is a rich person's choice. So Paul is saying... When somebody shows that they care about you, respond in kind and accept their request. That's how you seek their good. We And we could spend all day coming up with examples of how people have loved us well and have tried to build relationships with us, even unbelievers, right? And so the glory of God, the glory of God has something to do with seeking the good of others and building relationships. Yeah. And now Paul's going on. First Corinthians 10, 31 through 11. One. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Then he says this word, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So Paul is saying, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God, whether it is eating or drinking, do it for God's glory. Then he says, don't cause anyone to stumble. Don't cause the Jews or the Greeks, those outside the church to stumble. He's saying, live your life. And so that even the other unbelievers around you don't stumble because of you, but not just the unbelievers, but the church of God as well. Paul says that, that he seeks the good of others, even unbelievers so that they may be saved. So think about this, right? Sarah and I, Well, Sarah's favorite food might be bratwurst on the grill. And we love grilling out and we love hosting people at our house. And at Johnsonville, they have these brats that are pre-cooked in beer. They've been boiled in beer. And you just throw them on the grill. 10 minutes, they're pre-cooked. You just warm them through. Boom, you get a little charcoal flavor. Good to go. Now, we don't usually buy those. Usually we buy the high V ones because those are Sarah's favorite. That's great. But if I invited, imagine that. You know, I invite somebody over in recovery from alcohol addiction, and I had mistakenly bought those beer brats that have been boiled in beer over the regular ones we get. And what if I saw that guy reaching out for one of those brats? What I would do is I would take my tongs and I'd slap their hand. I would let them know out of love for them, hey, don't eat that one. Here, this one's for you. This one doesn't have a bushlight aftertaste. You know, I don't even know if they taste that way because I don't buy them, because I love working with people in recovery. I just don't want even want to cause the any of that. I just stay away from anything alcohol. You get and you can get the heart behind stopping that person from eating it. And I, I hope you can see that. And that's what Paul is describing when the unbeliever says, This food has been sacrificed to an idol. This is what Paul means when he says, Don't cause anyone to stumble. Paul's heart is that they might be saved. Paul says, I don't seek my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. And so we can kind of add this final part to our definition of glory because we've seen that glory has to do with relationships and giving up for the other and seeking their good. And we can see that God is glorified when people are saved. So Paul then has one of the most fascinating lines in scripture, First Corinthians 11, one, he says, be imitators of me. Or some translations say, imitate me or follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And the Greek is that that concise. Follow me as I follow Christ. Follow my example. Imitate me. So often we tell people, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. When in reality, often the first example they have is not Jesus, but you and me. Could we say to the church, could we say to God's people, church, follow my example, what you see me doing, imitate me, follow my example as I follow Christ. And Paul is saying that he serves as an example for living for God's glory and the goodness of others. And so let's see this. Let's like put this all together. What is God's glory? I'm going to say that God's glory is the person, place, or time when God makes his holiness known. God's glory is not an individual or team accomplishment to win victory. It's where God's holiness is known. See, the glory of God in this context is not an individual pursuit per se but is rather an ambition lived out in relation to others, both believers and unbelievers, building up one another, living among unbelievers with the goal of their salvation is the pursuit of the glory of God, making his holiness known to the very ends of the earth. See, God is glorified in the progress of the gospel. As this gospel spreads from person to person, to Cambodia, to Asia, to Africa, to the ends of the earth, as the gospel spreads... God makes his holiness known, and that is his glory. So do you bring God glory? Well, do you live for the good of others so that they may know Christ? If your focus is not on winning more to Jesus Christ, God is not fully glorified in you. And I would encourage you to seek the good of others so they might be one to the gospel. With that, I'm going to stop and let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together, this day. Would you continue to show us ways in which we can live for others? Would you show us the meat markets of our time? And for those unbelievers who want to meet with us, Lord, would you just show them to us? Lord, would you just make yourself known in our lives that we might glorify you by making your holiness known? We ask this in your name. Amen.